0: right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn again to the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. The 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, and please notice and listen to the reading of verses 1, 2, and 3. These words spake Jesus... And lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, or life eternal, that they might know thee. The only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, that third verse is our text for our study this morning. We're in a series of the study of John 17, which deals with the Lord's intercessory prayer. There are different kinds of prayer in the Word of God, it's an interesting study. Sometimes maybe you might take time to make that a part of your Bible study. Find as many prayers that are prayed and who prayed them and why they prayed them. But there are many different kinds of prayer in the Word of God. It is not limited to God bless me, our four, and no more. It goes a little bit further than that when we call on the name of the Lord in prayer. Different kinds of prayer. Number one, there are prayers of petition. By prayers of petition, those are prayers that are given over to asking God to do something. It's Asking God to do something for us. And in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, these words, listen to them as I read them. You jot them down if you would like. Prayers of petition. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you if his son ask bread will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give gifts, good gifts, unto them that ask him? Then there are prayers of confession. Those prayers have to do with man confessing his sin to the Lord and asking for cleansing. In Psalm 51 verses 1 through 3, it was David who gave us this prayer. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Notice, blot them out. Wash me of them. Cleanse me of them. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And that prized verse in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number three, there are prayers of praise, prayers of adulation, lifting up the Lord and recognizing who He is. In Psalm 145, verses 1 through 3, I will extol thee. That little word extol is a Greek word, a Hebrew word, R-U-W-M, but it's pronounced room, and it means to rise. It means to raise up. I will exalt thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Number four, there are prayers of thanksgiving. Acknowledging our gratitude to the Lord for His blessings to us. In Psalm 100, verse number four, enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him, and bless His name. And in Psalm 136, 1 through 3, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. And then number five, there are prayers of intercession. Those are the prayers we pray for someone else on behalf of another person. In Romans chapter 10, verse number one, the apostle Paul said, brethren... My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And brother James comes along in chapter 5, verse 14 and 16. He says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil... In the name of the Lord. You say, Brother Cozart, now, we need to be reminded that we're Baptists. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You say, Pastor, have you ever anointed... A sick person with all I certainly have. Because the Bible says that's a good thing to do. Unless you got a different translation. Hey, boys and girls, are we still together today? Alright? And then confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. how important that is our healing depends on our praying for somebody else who's sick. If we pray for others for others who are in need that we may be healed. John 17 it is a prayer of intercession prayed by our Lord. He began this prayer shortly before going to the cross. And has been praying for us for the past 2,000 years at the Father's right hand. There is a very interesting statement in Romans 5, 10 that says we shall be saved by his life. Speaking of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. But we shall be saved however by his life. Isn't it strange, not saved by his death, period. We are saved by his life. Well, what in the world is he doing that would secure our salvation? He's praying for us every day of our life. We are continually being saved by his life of intercession for us. Intercessory prayer. The prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep in mind that it is divided, that is, this prayer in John 17 is divided into three parts. Number one, Christ prays for himself, verses 1 through 8. It's only very interesting to me that there are just two requests for Christ himself, he's the one that's praying. And he only makes two requests concerning for himself. He makes it in verse number 1. He makes it in verse number 5. In verse number 1 he says, These words spake Jesus, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. And he mentions his second request for himself. Again, that's important, not praying for others, but praying first of all for himself in verse number 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Christ prays for himself, verses 1 through 8. Second of all, Christ prays for his apostles. He had called them to be with him They were called disciples, they became apostles, sent out to take the word of God. He prays for these apostles in verses 9 and 19, 9 through 19. Notice in verse 9, I pray for them. Who's he praying for? He's praying for his disciples, for his apostles. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. If there's any question in your mind for whom he is praying, look back at verse number 6. I've manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. There were 12 of them. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Join that with verse number 12. While I was with them in the world. Now, this is the physical appearance of Jesus Christ. He wasn't with everybody in the world, but he was with his apostles and his disciples. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those whom thou gavest me, I have kept. None of them is lost except or but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. So he's praying for his apostles. And the third division of this great prayer of intercession, he prays for his church, those who will come under the preaching of the word of God started by the apostles. Their message was the message that Jesus Christ gave them and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature doesn't mean every living creature is going to respond, but it does mean that out of the living creatures on planet earth, there are going to be some to come to Christ and trust Him as Lord and Savior of their life. He prays for those who shall come. Verses 20 through 26. Notice carefully verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word and do not forget there are two reasons why our Lord prayed this prayer two reasons number one he prayed it for the glory of God verse number one and he also prayed it for the salvation of the elect verse number two verse two says as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to his many As thou hast given him. Let's do just a few moments of review here. About what we've tried to cover. In verse 1 and verse 2. The previous two Sundays. Verse number 1. He says the hour is come. And it refers to the time of his sufferings. The time of his sufferings. It wasn't just a 60 minute hour he's talking about here. But a period of time. There were several days involved in Jesus Christ and his sufferings before he even went to the cross. It refers to the time involved in these sufferings. It would be an hour of glory, verse 1. It would be an hour of power, verse 2. It would be an hour of eternal life, verse 3. It would be an hour of the finished work, verse 4. It would be an hour of restored glory, verse 5. It would be an hour of revelation or manifestation of himself, verse 6. And it would be an hour of mission accomplished, verses 7 and 8. What a prayer. My wife and I were discussing this. Just this last week, it's very interesting for me to know that there are not many prayers of our Lord so detailed that we can study them like this. Even the model prayer was not a prayer for himself but was it a prayer for his disciples who said, teach us to pray. He said, okay, when you pray, say, our Father. They said, our Father. Good, that's good. Who art in heaven pray it, who art in heaven, and he taught them how to pray. This is the intercessory prayer, and my dear friends, it's 26 verses long, and it gives us a bird's, pardon the expression, but a bird's eye view of really the heart and soul of Christ Jesus as he prayed. He tells you what he's praying about. Well, he's got everything. Why would he pray for anything? That's what the intercessory prayer is about in John 17. The intercessory prayer of our Lord. Listen, I did not leave home until age 19. And uh, I had never, and went to church every Sunday. Every Sunday, many of those times was the First Baptist Church in Roxburgh, North Carolina. Sometimes was the Front Street Baptist Church in Roxburgh, North Carolina. Once in a while it was the Methodist Church in Brookdale outside of Roxburgh, North Carolina. I never, never, not one time heard a preacher preach on the intercessory work of Christ. And it's taken me all of these years of my life to concentrate and to see this is the most important prayer in the Word of God, John 17. Spend some time in it and you'll be surprised at what it will do for your view and your understanding of who this man Jesus Christ is and what he came to do. In this verse 1, the hour refers to the time of his sufferings. In verse number 1, the Father would glorify the Son. Notice, he wants the Father to glorify the Son. How will the Father glorify the Son? Number 1, in his death. Did you know that while Christ was dying, he was being glorified by the Father? How do we know that? Well, there was a thief at his right hand who said, for Christ. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. There was a centurion soldier at the foot of the cross who said, truly this was the Son of God. There's a glorious aspect to Calvary itself in his death, but also he was glorified by the Father in his resurrection. There was victory to be found in both his death and resurrection. And then he prays that the Son would glorify the Father by atoning for the sins of the elect, thus ensuring their salvation. Just suppose, my dear friends, that God the Father wanted some folks saved, but Christ didn't die for them. Or better still, maybe God had certain people, and He did have certain people, that He elected before the foundation of the world, but examining the work of Jesus Christ, it just wasn't quite enough to pay the price they owed. Because some folks are meaner than others. Do you ever think about things like that? If the Bible teaches anything, it says the Father chose them in the past to be saved, eternity to pass. But Christ honors the Father's election by dying for them. And everyone for whom Christ died is one that God the Father chose before the foundation of Of the world. Amen, Dan. Verse number 2. Christ has the authority and power over the unsaved in providence. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. God Almighty has power over all flesh. Not some flesh. All human beings are subjected to the power of God Almighty. He has special authority over believers in precept when he teaches that he should give eternal life to many of those multitudes who make up the sum total of the people on the earth. And number three, with the power he gives eternal life to all who have been given him by the Father as thou hast given him. In our present study this morning, we come to verse 3, which amplifies eternal life. How does verse 3 begin? This is eternal life. This is eternal life. Number one, eternal life is a fact. It is not fantasy. It is not a fairy tale. It's not something made up. Eternal life is a fact. The songwriters have published it. You and I sing songs out of our hymn book every Sunday morning that verify the fact that songwriters believed in eternal life. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. When we've been there for a weekend, (laughs) no. when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun... We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. My, my. Edwin Excel wrote, Since I have been redeemed, I have a home prepared for me since I have been redeemed, where I shall dwell eternally since I have been redeemed. J.W. Vanderveyder wrote sunlight. Soon I shall see Him as He is. The light that came to me, behold the brightness of His face throughout eternity. The old rugged cross, George Bernard, to the old rugged cross I will ever be true. Its shame and reproach gladly bear. Then He'll call me some day to my home far away where His glory Forever, I'll share. People that go to heaven are not going to take a little vacation up there. They're going to live in heaven forever and forever and forever. Al Brumley wrote, I'm bound for that city. Little children will play. (laughs) I guess they will. And our hearts will be gay. As we stroll through the city of gold, no more dying up there. What a change it's going to be from planet Earth. No more dying up there. No more sorrow to bear. And nobody, nobody, nobody will be feeble and old. I get so tired of limping. Don't you? Not only do the songwriters preach about it. Eternal life. The scriptures proclaim it. The word of God proclaims it. John 3.15 That whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have eternal life. John chapter 6 verse number 54 Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. John 6.68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. John chapter 10, verse 28, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal eternal life 1st Timothy 6:12 and 19 Paul says to Timothy fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life and 1st John 2:25 This is the promise that he had promised us, even eternal life. And Jesus Christ includes this in the opening prayer of intercession. This is eternal life. Number two, the need for eternal life. Do I need eternal life? And if I need eternal life, why do I need eternal life? It has to do with quality more than duration. Eternal life has to do more with the kind of life it is rather than how long it is. Ponder that a moment. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And then in chapter number 3, verse number 19, the Lord said this to Adam after the fall. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. I said eternal life has to do with quality more than duration. God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden to get them away from the tree of life. Inside the garden was the tree of life. And if man ate of the tree of life, he wouldn't die. He would live forever. For a man to live forever in an unchanged body would be a nightmare. Just think about it. Suppose you had to live forever with what you are just now. Add to that about 50 years from now and you're still living with it. add a hundred years from now, and you're still living with it. every pain, pain, every disjoint, everything that you have problems with, you'll have forever. There is such a sense of saying eternal life has to do with hell as ways well it does, as well as it does with heaven. But you've got to determine what you mean by eternal life. We're talking about not so much the duration of it, how long it is, but what kind of life it is. It is the life of God. Eternal life is the life of God. There never has a, been a time when God was not, and there never will be a time, never will be a time, when God is not. God doesn't die and go away and disappear, and decompose, and there's nothing more about Him. God is God, and He is eternal life. That's quality. That's quality. There would have been no need for eternal life had not Adam sinned. For then there would have been no death. He would have lived forever in the garden, for he had access to the tree of life. When death entered, the need for eternal life entered. In Genesis 5, 5, what happened to Adam? He died. He died. And his entire human race that he was a progenitor of would die as well. The Bible makes this very clear in Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death hath passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The Bible is very clear in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. God hath appointed a day in which we're going to die. There's an appointment we have to die. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know where it's going to be. I know this that if our lord doesn't come back it's going to be involving every one of us and millions just like us all over the world in 1 Corinthians 15:22 no one is exempt from this as in adam all die our Lord presented this truth to Martha in John eleven twenty three 23 through 26. She really needed some encouragement. And the Lord gave her this encouragement. John 11, verses 23 through 26. Jesus said to Martha, thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. There are going to be people, God's people, living on this planet earth when the Lord comes again and they've never tasted a physical death and they'll never die. But until that happens, we're all going to fulfill this appointment with death that's the need for eternal life i need eternal life so well i need a vacation no you need something worse than a vacation you need eternal life eternal life the need for it number 3 where can eternal life be found if you got to have it where are you going to look for it Where can eternal life be found? Number one, not in Florida. Fellow by the name of Ponce de Leon, pardon the French, reported he had discovered the fountain of youth from which if one drank, he would live forever. And old Ponce baby's dead. He drank it. And he drank it and it didn't do any good. He had an appointment with death. Florida's not the answer. Not in the deep freeze. Some believe that if one is frozen upon death, they can somehow or another be revived at a latter period of time. Wouldn't count on that too much. Not in the lunch box. <laughs> it, oh boy we'll be here for a long time eternal life is not <laughs> not in the lunchbox. nutrition is a good thing but it will not prevent you from dying it will only postpone it fruits and veggies in capsules don't work They postpone, but they cannot prevent. Not in the lunchbox. The only bread you can eat and have eternal life is Jesus Christ. According to John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 50 and 51. John six fifty and 51. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven if a man eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, and I will give for the life of the world. That's the Lord's Word. Verse 58 says, This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. That's where you get eternal life. It's only in Christ. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet it's not I that live. It's Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those are not empty words, ladies and gentlemen. That's the gospel. That's the truth. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13 Where can this eternal life be found? 1 John 5, verses 11 through 13. The Bible says, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. He's given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Number four. What are the means of eternal life? What are the means of eternal life? Number one, it is to know the only true God it's not the God of your choosing but it is to know the only true God in verse number 3 he makes that clear this is life eternal that they may know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent to know that he is the only God not one of many but the only God that there is. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. The only God that there is, the only God that there is, is the God of the Bible. We must know that he is the only true God and that he is true, that he doesn't lie. He's not a false religious object. That he is absolutely true. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that believeth must believe that he is God. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I believe he has to have some sense about this statement, to know that God is sovereign. He is not a God that's trying to accomplish anything. He is not a God that needs help in His divine activities. He is a sovereign God. In the 115th Psalm, and I refer to this so many, many times, and I do so like to do that because it speaks and enhances the beauty of the sovereignty of God. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he pleased. If that's the only verse in the Bible, that's sovereignty. To do what you want. Have you ever tried to do what you wanted to do and you couldn't cut it? You just couldn't pull it off. God's not like that. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he pleased. Their works, people who are idolaters, their works, their idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hands, they have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, they cannot hear. Noses have they, they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. That they may make, pardon, they that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. But our God is in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. When a man sees, rightly sees, that God Almighty is sovereign, if he ever sees that, he'll begin to fear this God, and the power of this God, and the judgment of this God. And when a man really begins to see that, he sees himself a poor, helpless sinner in need of mercy. In need of mercy. And he flees to the Lord for eternal life. For eternal life. What are the means of eternal life? To know the only true God, yes. But also to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That is essential not only to believe in God, but also the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3, this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and, here it comes, Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I never cease to be amazed at the spiritual vacuum of people in prominent places. Who refer. To their belief in God. Like this. Well I'm not an infidel. I believe in God. I believe in God. But they're very careful. Never never never. To talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no God. Apart from the Lord. Jesus Christ. Christ. It's to know that the Lord Jesus Christ and know He is Lord. This came as a shock to me. This is the only place in the Bible. Listen to this. Challenge me after church, okay? This is the only place in the Bible where the Lord called Himself Jesus Christ. Put that one down. Only place in the Bible where the Lord called Himself Jesus Christ. Verse number 3. He is Jesus, the Son of Man. He is Christ, the Son of God. But also He is the only true God. I want you to turn to 1 John 5.20 and this will be our final statement concerning this message this morning. 1 John chapter 5 verse number 20 The Bible says this and we know isn't it good to know something Have you ever seen so many dummies as there are in Washington DC the dummies they know nothing We know We know that the Son of God is come and hath given to us an understanding that we may know Him that is true and we are in Him that is true even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, as to us, (laughs) keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's stand, please, for prayer.